so as we're as we're finishing up, John, there's three basic um, points, and all four of the gospels. If you look at the last three chapters of them, they kind of um, follow this flow, where um, the third to the last chapter deals with the trial, um, and then the and then it moves into the Christ, crucifixion, the second to the last chapter, and then the ascension, the the last chapter, and um, and so we've been walking through the the trial part of it and and looking at it in the four gospels trying to kind of be like um, the way they describe it I think it was a case for Christ described it is how when you see a contradiction um, between different witnesses or different perspectives um, in some cases some would say that's error and that's fallacy but um, police officers have said in investigation that if you don't see some difference then you realize they've talked before and they've they've kind of um, got got on the same page with a story. So when you hear um, people just, they haven't talked to one another and they're saying things, sometimes there's a little bit of difference from the perspective, but a, a skilled um, investigator can sort through that. And so what we've been doing is taking the four gospels and looking specifically at the trial and, and trying to, to be that investigator, talking to a few witnesses and um, finding out what really happened. And we've spent most of our time focusing um, on on the trial itself. And we've looked at it in two ways, the, the Jewish trial and the Gentile trial. And we narrowed it down to, in both cases, they were looking for a guilty plea. And, and one of the things was authority. Um, if Jesus was making himself to be out uh, to be God, that was a a death sentence offense in a Jewish mindset, but in a Gentile mindset to get a death sentence, um, he would have to be making himself to be a king. He would have to be challenging the the, the strongest king of the day or the ruling power of the day um, is in Caesar. And so trying to make that case would have put Jesus in hot water. Um, and so those were the two authority things that we seen. Um, we still see that today, that if you overstep your authority, people get upset and they have problems. And so um, we see the authority, but we also saw the twisting of justice to our injustice to to manipulate the, the law and the rules to try to send an innocent person to, you know, to to jail or to death in this case. Um, but we saw both of those. So in the in the in the Jewish, we saw them making a claim that Jesus um, was going to destroy the temple or that he had a plan to destroy the temple, which we know that's not true. And then we see it in the Gentile trial. He was um, rising up people to rebel against Caesar. Um, so those were the false accusations, but then there was this um, um, pulling away from authority. So what I want to do is we looked at the what, and I want to, I want to address some of the why, and I want to use the language of old man, new man, and I, I think I proposed some questions in the text about um, common grace, and um, others would compare that to saving or special grace. So I want to talk about that a bit, but to connect the dots, where I want to go in the text is I want to do a little bit of tour guiding between Acts 2 and 6, and I want to, I want to paint the picture of, of what happened with Jesus continued so the audience that was per persecuting Jesus continued in the book of Acts and persecuting the apostles. And then I want to say it even went a little bit further than that when we bring in Stephen. Stephen was an apostle, um, 
he enters the the situation in Acts six. But I want us to look at sort of the trial of Stephen and see how we we went from this trial of Jesus to to Stephen. And I want us to see some of the similarities in Acts six. But I also want to talk about, and I'm just going to give you a, a one text, not that this is it, but just a, a center point text. It's Colossians 3, 1. And um, so if, if we look at, let me I'll try to get to it. If we look at Colossians um, 3, 1, um, the idea there is the title that I have in the ESV is put on the new self. And it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek, seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on that that are above, not the things of earth. So we have went through the whole book. You know, as we went through the book of John, we've talked about how a lot of times the, um, the, the communication gap or pr problem was that Jesus was talking about heavenly things and they were trying to see them through earthly means. And so what this text in, in, in uh, Colossians 3.1 is us realizing who we are in Christ and calling us out of living um, what it says above that, the elementary principles of this world, and realize that we have been revealed to a mystery, a mystery has been revealed to us of what God is doing in, uh, in Christ through the gospel, that this has been revealed to us and that that has put us in a different position, that we're now citizens of heaven. And so one of the things, and, and that's what I want to speak about with common grace and saving um, grace or special grace, is that common grace is related to uh, stewarding the elementary principles of the world. And when, when we say elementary, it doesn't mean elementary. It, it means wisdom of this world it means power of us apart from us being born again so like even if we're saved today and we have the holy spirit living in us and that holy spirit living in us gives us a power and a life that we didn't have prior to being saved we didn't lose our ability and we didn't not have any ability at all before to steward our life we could still drive cars we could still be attracted to women you know, you know, that have hearts on it, not the ones that don't have hearts on it. But we we uh, we we have a old man nature that still as a believer still resides with us. But I want us to think in terms of that old man, you know, it, it's a common it's a common power. It's it's putting your clothes on in the morning, you know, and when when it's just common day, everyday things. And what happens is what special or saving grace does is it moves us that we're not the same. We're a new creation. And so I got a little far ahead of myself. So, so that's where I want us to go. We talked about the what of what happened at the trial. I want us to look at how that what keeps happening. But I want us to try to touch on the core reason of why the what is happening. Why did they do what they did to Jesus? Why did they do the same kind of things to the apostles? Why did they do the same kind of stuff to Stephen? And why are they doing it to people of the church, of the faith, all for, you know, for the last 2,000 years that have stood up and tried to reveal the truth? Why is there this hostility to the gospel that ultimately when someone stands and gives a clear message of the gospel that they put their self in jeopardy because people of the darkness want to stop 
they want to put out the light in a sense in the gospel. So let's do this. Um, I want to read a text and um, we read a little bit of Colossians where we're going. So I want to walk through Acts two to six a little bit and hit some highlights, but, but to, to, um, I want to go to, let's see, let's look at Acts six first and we'll, thing did something weird. Let's look at Acts six first. Um, and I want to, I want to read a text from there that kind of parallels, um, you know, everything comes back full circle. Um, six, all right, six, one through seven basically speaks about, um, the first deacons is the way some people will look at that. Um, you had uh, apostles or elders and they were laying the foundation and then the crowds were getting so big that, um, there was, there was a riff and, um, the apostles were saying, Hey, we still got to focus on the word of God and devote ourselves to that. But they begin to put up some deacons and they raise up seven people. And one of these people is, is Stephen. Um, and the in conclusion, and I, I want to point this out as we walk through acts is um, there's, I want to point out a few times where the church was on the move. The church was growing. And so we see the number of believers became 3000 and the number of believers became 5,000 and they continue to grow God adding numbers to them daily. Well, in verse seven here of six, it says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of priests became, became obedient to faith. Now there's a couple of things that I want to point out from this is, is so even though they persecuted Christ, the church continued to fight through persecution and they continued to grow. But, but there's a lot of times where we're up to this point where I can show you where it's saying, and some believed and some believed and some believed and the number came 3000, the number came 5,000. But I want you to see what it says here before we look at this trial of Stephen is, um, is it says, and a great many of priests became obedient to faith. So one of the big pictures from what all we talked about, Mr. Wayne said something two weeks ago, Mike was saying something last week, but but they were leading to, let's move beyond the, the what is actually happening at the trial, and let's talk about the why that it actually happened. Um, Mr. Wayne had spoke about how Jesus, they didn't take his life, but Jesus laid down his life. So that speaks to the why. Why did Jesus lay his life down? Um, you know, we looked at a lot of details of how wrong they were. Why were they so wrong? Why would they do such a thing? Why would they they crucify someone so innocent? But one of the things that I want to point at, and one of the goals of here of Acts, is that the very people that, that were used to uh, bring the death of Christ about some of them did repent some of them did uh, realize their wrongdoing and they got saved so when we get to heaven there will be people that'll be there that actually physically um at the time of the crucifixion at the time of the trial of jesus they were not standing up for him they were like yeah we need to kill him he's a troublemaker and somewhere after the death and the resurrection they realized what they had did was wrong and they repented some of them didn't. Some of them continued to be hard-hearted and continued to live in darkness and continue to deny that they did anything wrong. But some of them repented. And so when it says here, 
and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They're not talking about the old faith. They're not talking about the Jewish faith. They're talking about the new, the new faith uh, in Christ, that the foundation of faith that the apostles are, are laying um, in, and who Christ was and what he did. But let's read this real quick. In verse 8, and Stephen, I've always liked this. The, the paragraph that we're looking at here is from eight, um, eight or not eight, six eight to the end, verse fifteen um, of that. And then I'm not going to dive into Stephen's piece, um, speech, but it's 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 a sermon, and it's worth looking at what he does, how he does it. Um, but but let's look at this text here. I always think it's cool. I have in my text from eight to 15, I have highlighted uh, the beginning and the end of something about um, Stephen. And I'm a little bit jealous. I mean, when I first was reading a new believer, I'm like, man, I, can I ever be a Christian like that, that, that they could say this about me? But I think this is one of the most flattering things that could be said about someone. Um, but it says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So I used to read that and say, will it ever say somewhere in some book about me that I was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people? That's just a flattering deal. And and, and it ends, just, just to point a note before we look at the text, is it ends in verse 15, and gazing at him, being Stephen, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel so so it just paints this this amplified picture that something really cool was happening with with Stephen um so looking at the text picking up in verse 9 it says then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So my point of reading this text is that we, we, we left off at, at, at the trial of Christ. And then there's going to be trials um, that, that happen with the apostle. And then later on, there'll be trials that happen with, with Paul. But I think this is a short paragraph that shows um, as the church moved on and grew, the trial, the dishonest, unjust trials continued on. And I think they still continue today. But uh, it says, uh, they disputed with Stephen at the end of verse 9. And it says 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. That's like another, I should have highlighted that one too. That's another flattery deal. Like what if in the Bible or any book for that matter, it was recorded, even a local church book, it was wrote, it was recorded that, that, um, that they had people disputed with you about the truth of the gospel and about Christ. And it said, but they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. I mean, all this chapter ushers in something really cool is happening and how God is using Stephen to exalt the gospel to, to people. And, um, and it says in verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemy words against Moses and God. Like, have we seen this before? Like when you hear this phrase, um, they secretly 
instigated men. Like that's false testimony. Let's drum it up false testimony. We've seen that with the temple, with the Jewish trial. We've seen that with rebelling against Caesar and the Gentile trial. But but you see this heartbeat of people wanting to manipulate the justice system and to and they're they're worried more about outcomes than 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 the truth. Um, this is the outcome I want. Let's who cares about the facts? Let's manipulate the scenario to get the outcome that we want. Um, and I'm not going to get into real. That, real that's a that's, bigger picture. Huh? Oh, sorry. Can you... Go ahead. I was going to say that the bigger picture of what you were saying in your introduction, that, that the way that these men um, in secret accuse them of blasphemous words. Like you see it later in Paul, every time Paul goes to a new city on his journeys, there, there's a group of Jewish leaders following him around and inciting the people and stirring them up. And um, and even even in our day, you know, and, and you touched on this in the beginning that um, why are people have such this hostility. And so the world, they don't care if they're speaking lies. They just know they don't like what they're hearing and they're plugging their ears up. And they're going to do whatever means necessary to stop it. Yeah. And that's how they end with Stephen. If you read towards the end, it says they essentially mm -hmm. their ears and could not listen anymore. They became madmen. So in verse 12, so so we see sort of the similarity here of the trial of Jesus. And we are we're seeing some of the same key issues, but they're lying to him. But but what I want us to pick out in these last few verses is you know, like you ask the question, we're moving from the what to the why, and you ask the question, why did they do this? You know, and and they're giving you some of their their logic, some of their reasoning here, and so the accusation that they're making is that he is speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now, in one sense, that's not true. There's no evidence. There's no proof that he was actually doing that. But this tells you if they were going to get a death sentence or they was going to get a guilty verdict, the people that were listening to this would have had a real problem if someone was speaking blasphemous against Moses and God. That would have been enough to, to, to instigate the emotions to say, crucify him, crucify him, stone him, away with him, arrest him, whatever. This would have generated that idea. So... They're saying that basically on, under their set of rules, uh, being blasphemous against Moses or God is a problem. Then verse 12, he says, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they, um, they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. So there's this habit. Uh, we don't like this guy. We don't like what he's saying. And the way we deal with that is we say that they're speaking against Moses and God, and we bring them to the to the council for a trial. So they they don't abandon this idea of let's have a trial. It's just not an honest trial. It's just not serious about the truth. And then verse 13, and they set up false witnesses who said this man never ceases to speak words. So this is the blasphemy. He never seeks to speak words against and now they get specific a little bit. You know, they were saying Moses and God. So now they're getting to the details of specificness. And they said he never ceases to speak word against this holy place 
and the law. So this is, you know, now we're talking about the temple. We're talking about the law that's been given to them by Moses. And he's, he's not on the right side of history on that is their case. And in 14, he says, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now here, in one sense, that was never said. No, no fact-based, a uh, just trial could have proven that. But it shows you their heart of the way they're thinking. It's showing you how their thinking is making them mad and how they're, they're, they're wanting, um, I'll use the term, vigilante justice, like, that that's what you you get to when you're when you're like whatever the cause I want his head on a platter, um and 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 what's driving that what's driving that murderous behavior that rage, and so they in some sense had convinced themselves that Jesus, um, that that or that Stephen was speaking words against this holy place and the law. And that he was teaching that Jesus of Nazareth, because they're all teaching about Jesus. So the problem was with this. Now it's with the people that are pointing to Jesus and exalting the crucified Jesus and resurrected Jesus. That they're saying that he's going to, this resurrected Jesus is going to come back and destroy this place and will change the customs of Moses delivered to us. So when we went through John, one of the problems that they were facing is what are you saying? What are you teaching? And like Jesus is like, I've always talked plainly in front of people, but they're like, but we're not fully understanding what you're saying. Are you saying this? Are you saying this? And they begin to come up to the assumption that Jesus was trying to change the laws of Moses. I mean, those were some of the questions, um, you know, over circumcision or, or different things. But this, um, so, so then that last verse that I've already read, and, and so all of this is being said, and then you ask, so who's on the right side of history? And you have to deal with verse 15. And it says, and these people that were saying that he's, that he's, you know, they, they, they've acquired false witnesses. They're, they're speaking that he's saying things, blasphemous, that's not true, that they can't prove it. They're not even interested in proving it. This audience has is, is, is got Stephen on trial. And then it says, verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. Now, it's hard to walk away from this text and read the, the next verses uh, down the, the, the rest of the way and say, how did they wind up stoning this guy? You know, Stephen is technically in scripture, the first, you know, martyred person of, of, the, of faith in Christ, in essentially. And so, you know, there's a lot that we bring from the trial of Jesus that we're at to this trial of Stephen. Now, there's the and, and what I like is in such few verses, eight verses or so, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of clarity in this. So I'll pause for a second here. We're halfway through and I do want to do a little bit of tour guide and acts, but there's probably way too much content. But um, but what do you guys see here? What's what's your thoughts? And as we're as we're looking at a text that's connecting the dots from Jesus's trial to Stephen, 
and we see this pattern has just kind of went on for 2,000 years. What is what is y'all's thoughts on that this morning? My thought is, you know, you always hear the, the, the phrase, whatever your little heart desires. Well, it, what comes from the heart comes out of you, or what comes from your mouth comes from your heart. And this is, you can just tell the evil that's coming. First of all, they changed what, um, what Stephen was saying, which is kind of what they do now in certain situations. Um, and that's why I think words matter. It's just like when now when they change the definition, you know, you have marriage, marriage between a man and woman. Well, it technically can a marriage cannot be between man and man. It's not marriage. So the, the change in words, um, you know, the saying the change of uh, the customs that Moses delivered. I don't, I don't remember Jesus really ever saying anything like that. I mean, he came to fulfill the law. Um, so between that, what I'm seeing is basically the heart. They just had it in their heart, the evil in their hearts. Like, no, we're getting this guy, and we're going to do it by all means possible, and that included changing words and changing what was said to crucify or to stone him. Well, so like if you were to say what three things is he customs of Moses is he changing, then you know a, a sound-minded person could say, well, first of all, he's changing this, and they could give evidence. This is what he said. And so when, mm -hmm. like, even if we're in a debate, a theological debate, and we're trying to represent truth and someone's saying, no, I have the truth. And you're saying, no, I have the truth. And you're going back and forth. You know, there, there needs to be an intelligence, you know, on, on somebody's side. It shouldn't just be totally emotional. Like, like the question is, are you trying to get vigilante justice or can you weather the storm of the trial? And so a trial could have a sane man. And if you're if if the person is actually blaspheming someone, you can say they clearly did A, B, and C. And this is A, B, and C is clearly wrong. Here's the chapter and verse or scripture to support that. And you could have a a a reasonable, intelligent, comprehensible conversation. So when the conversation, you can't really spell out an A, B, and C. You can't really give evidence that this person is guilty of A, B, and C. You know, then 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 the trial has went somewhere completely different. And and you know we can say in general terms that when you know vigilante justice is you lose your head and you're just you're you're moving in rage. Um, no more discussion. Like these are the kind of things we see in this trial. And then we've seen it throughout history. So we should step back and say, when we see this vigilante justice, is it based on God's word? Is it based on his truth? And if we do want our life to be based on God's word and based on truth, can we have a measure of self-control? So like Mr. Wayne asked me about my daughter and, and, and what I would say is in her dating relationship and her pursuing to be marriage, you know, we've always taught her, you never want to get married on your foundation. You want to get married on God's foundation. And so it's wise advice for everyone to make that decision to marry someone and to commit to spend the rest of their life to know that God is involved in this. And, and that requires us to die to ourselves and to wait. So if our, if the person we're going to marry is on trial, 
we can we can pursue that trial if we rush through that marriage process and really never sit quietly before the Lord and ask him, is this the one that you want for us? Then we can't go into that marriage saying that that this is we know that God did this for us. You know, you both have to surrender to him. And so this is a wise principle in anything. You want to take a new job. You want to move. You're going to join a new church. Do you take that time like Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus and say, is this what you want from me? Or are you more like Martha and just forcing it, forcing it through this bygone is what's going to make me happy. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it because they thought what was going to make them happy is killing Jesus. But, you know, it, I'm trying to think of how that says it. It's only just begun. <laughs> you know, that's the song that should have been singing when they crucified Jesus. They didn't realize the can of worms they had just just opened. Um, so anyway, um, anybody else on that? Um, thank you, Shane. Hey, Dad. Uh, I've heard. Oh. Go ahead, Mr. Wayne. Well, I've heard. Uh... One only one video and maybe one other testimony from a uh, a uh, Jewish person who has had switched to belief in Christ, who has accepted Christ, and uh, I've never talked to a uh, Jewish person who refuses to accept Christ. But um, I think that kind of conversation, I think any kind of discussion would have to include people like that to really explain what their feelings are and and. Uh, what their passion is for um, being against uh, Jesus' changing of the of the temple and the and the and the and the, and the, and the religion, um, you know. But from now, right now, I just am extremely sad that the um, that it still causes such a wall between people. That I, I, I there was some, somehow I found out that Jewish people who have family that convert to uh, Christianity, they ostracize them. They kick them out. They hate them. And whatever whatever that thing that we don't understand, it is, um, it is an amazing power, an amazing wall between people. Uh, it's a shame we can't break it down because I just don't understand how, how you could hate people. I mean, if, if I come across someone that doesn't believe in Jesus, I just pray for them and have a have faith in Jesus to change that. But uh, people who refuse Jesus have a passion about how they feel that I just can't understand. Yeah. I was, I was listening to seventh day Adventist podcast and it's these two ladies that had come out of the seventh day Adventist, but in what you just spelled and, and it, it grieved my heart as I was listening to them talk about it is um, the lady was talking about. So her and her husband left the seventh day Adventist church and, and, what happened is the whole church, um, when they they ostracized them when they you know they left there you, you couldn't you weren't a part of the family anymore and and they thought in their theology that if you if you leave the Seventh Day Adventist Church that you're you're essentially one day going to persecute them and she was bringing it down to um, her his parents died in the Seventh Day Adventist faith. So they had no, based on their current belief, they had no um, uh, idea that his parents was going to be saved. But 
but she talked about conversations where they thought that they were going to try to the guy's parents thought that they were going to try to kill him because they were essentially the martyr they were the ones representing the truth of christ and and you know and they couldn't associate them and and it was interesting to listen to that 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 there's you use the word a wall you know, as we talk about this, there is a big wall like and that's I didn't get into common grace and saving grace. But 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 heaven, um, earthly and heavenly, um, sometimes in earthly realms, like when we say don't talk about what do we say? Don't talk about money, politics and religion, I guess, is what we say. And what we're addressing is that there's big walls there that 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 it's there. We know it's there. It's the elephant in the room. But but sometimes we just have surface relationships with people because we don't want to deal with that wall. But one wall we never want to die and go into eternity and not deal with is all we in right relationship with God. And, you know, and, and that just broke my heart. Like you're, you're talking about the Jews, you know, that, hey, here's a Jew that says, hey, I, I believe the truth from God is this faith in Christ. And they're like, well, we don't believe Christ is the Messiah and that God even sent him. And so you have this wall of faith that's separated and you have families that don't interact because of that, you know? And so anyway, um, what you think, Jeff, you was going to say something? Well, yeah, just, you know, tying this whole passage back into your one of your points on the text was about God's common grace. You know, part of one aspect of God's common grace is restraining sin and evil and holding men's hearts back from what they truly desire to do. But a, another aspect of his common grace is sometimes releasing that restraint on a man's heart and giving them over and letting them carry out what they want to do. Uh, in the scripture, you see him. Uh, times when God hardens the hearts of individuals, um, he releases that restraint on them. And they, excuse me. And they carry out some evil acts. Uh, the, the main act that they carry out that was evil was the crucifixion of Jesus. And God allowed that to happen um, in the same way with Stephen. Um, he preaches the longest sermon in Acts, and, and it is an indictment on the Jewish leaders and calls to repentance, but they respond completely differently, and they kill him. And you you mentioned earlier in your teaching that we see different periods of time when the church grows. The church grew because of this act in, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen goes to heaven. That's how I remember it. But um, it, it, when that happens... Uh, people scatter and the gospel goes out. So uh, sometimes it's God's restraining evil as part of our God's, uh, as far as as part of his common grace. And sometimes it's him letting it go to let men's desires take over. But God has a purpose even in that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking as you're speaking, if, if we term it common grace and special grace or, you know, and, and Mr. Wayne was kind of talking about, was talking about the family division and the wall is um, common, you, you know, something about like, what, what is said like this? What is so special to you that you're willing to go to fight for? 
what is so special that you're willing to lose something or risk something? And so that's what's interesting is like what you're talking about persecution is when people are persecuted. Like if you even look at when um, someone tortures someone to get information out of them, you know, what <clears throat> under that persecution and suffering, what what's the one thing that you're going to hold to? Like, like I heard it said this way before in a movie, it was talking about, um, if you if you heard your house was on fire and you had sixty seconds to get out, what would you grab? You know, a lot of people would make sure all their family gets out safe, but then there might be a keepsake that they don't want to see lost in the fire. And 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 so, what's so unique about these times of severe persecution is it shows these people that were being persecuted what mattered most to them, and that's the struggle we find between common and special, um, the commonality is, is this creating a comfort in this life. And, and we think about that in that terms. And that's, that's a, 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 a mindset that we have, but then what about if, when you, when you take it to terms of when I die, am I going to go to heaven and hell? Just like we don't save for retirement like we should in this physical life. We know that we'll probably get older and we need to save for that. Or, or we may not save for the vacation we want to take next or our Christmas this year. And we procrastinate in that kind of sense. But one of the, I heard um, a preaching the other day that said one of the things that keep people from making a choice from for the Lord is procrastination. That they keep thinking that they can do it tomorrow and do it tomorrow. And one of the ways that when the spirit of God is moving on someone and drawing them to himself to surrender and yield to the work of God in their life is, is the devil saying, you can do it tomorrow. You can do it tomorrow. So the same spirit that keeps a person from saving appropriately for retirement and spending all their money today um, is the same person. It's the same um set of 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 powers that keep someone to dealing with the most important thing they our decision or our reality that they'll ever face which is when they die where will they end, spend eternity in heaven or hell and so when we bring that question up with someone we see that work of where don't don't speak about what what is a what is it money Money politics and faith is—is is that the ones that we're not supposed to talk about? Um, but but it's it's you know but but we talk about that with the people we're close with, right? We talk about that with our family. We talk about that with our close friends, and so that idea of don't talk about these things essentially means we could we could uh, we could cause strife in a perfectly good surface relationship. You know, we're, we're, that's not a rule based on really close, intimate relationships. People that were really close and were intimate to, we talk to them about the question of heaven and hell. We talk to them about the question of eternity. And what is essentially happening in this, this unfolding here is that some people want to, you know, how did Dorothy said, 
click their heads, you know, I'm not in Kansas anymore. We have this idea of putting our hand in the sand. You know, some people want to live in their own reality without heaven, without eternity. And, and what the gospel calls people to realize is that eternity is, is real and it's forever. And, and there's something, there's a matter that has to be dealt with if you want to be on the right side of history when you move into eternity. When, when eternity's history is written, what side are you going to be on? And don't wait. Don't keep procrastinating. Don't keep putting it off. And this is what brings these trials about. It's what brought the original with Jesus about. It's what's bringing the one with Stephen about. It's it's what's going to bring the one with Paul about. It's what's going to eventually, which we don't have biblical as much biblical record to that, but all the apostles, you know, they, they under persecution stood for something. And it was a source of light that had of, of light that was delivered to them by God through Jesus, through the apostles, through the scriptures, and they held firm and fast to it. When we look at someone like Martin Luther, um, the, the Catholic church at this at his day had brought darkness to the gospel. They had covered it up and they were not. Um, making the word of God and the gospel and forgiveness in Christ, they were not making it available to the their people, to their sheep. And and God used Martin Luther to to pull that that if if it was a candle with a with a you know a, a lid on it, he he pulled that lid off. And he said, it's right here. This is what the scripture says. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what will will set us free. So uh, I know we're running out of time. And then uh, and then the forerunner to him, was it Jan Hus, who uh, I think it was 100 years or something before Martin Luther, and they burned him at the stake. And, and um, you know, something, an evil act like that, an evil act like we see against Stephen or even in Christ and the crucifixion, that, um, that God's doing something through that. And, and that in many ways, ignited what martin luther was able to bring to the world through the reformation yeah that's so, uh that's the, we can't we can't uh no matter how hard we try we can't figure the complex reasoning behind it um i often wonder say jesus god why did you pick the time you did to send jesus and uh only god knows for sure the, the massive things that have to be known and understood by him to say it's time for Jesus to come. And, and uh, I don't think we'll ever figure it all out because that's a very God, the best best we could do is say, God decided that that was the time when the world was really headed to hell, that he had to do something about it, you know. And th thank God he does take a, take a hand when he has to. Yeah. Well, look, we got... 10 minutes left. Let me, uh, I'm, I'm not going to jump into anything deep. There's so much content that I thought through for here. Um, and just hopefully uh, we, we start a few thoughts and um, we, we may unpack this. I would really love to just as we, we walk through verse by verse, I would love to walk through chapters two to six of acts and really, really look through some of those sermons and some of the comments he said, but, 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 trying to wrap our mind from the why not so much at that point but for all the last 2000 years and then and then what is this all about with the gospel i'm going to give you a few verses um the first one is in second corinthians 
3, 15, 16. And the idea there is the veil is removed. Um, so we know that when Jesus, we'll read in a couple couple weeks or so about the veil being ripped from top to bottom. But but this in 15 um, and 16 says, um, or, or I'll go up one more verse before there, um, or I'll go up to 12. We'll, we'll go from 12 to 16. It says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Um, but their minds were hardened for to this day. When they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. And then this key point, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So two times it makes this specific application that if we do not turn to Christ, that it's the actual turning and trusting and that Mary at his feet, depending and laying our burdens before him, that, that it's in that the veil is removed. And so... Um, let me see what else I want to say. So I'm going to skip a few and go to verse three of chapter four, but just scroll down a little bit or look down and I'm going to pick it up in four, three. And it says, um, and even cause now this is bringing it, there's this truth reality, but it's bringing that truth reality to, to how we do things today. And even if our gospel, this is about us sharing the gospel with other people and us having the same struggles that they were having there when we share the gospel, when we try to, to shine light on truth. And he says, and if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, let me see what I was trying to read to, to verse six. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded their the minds and that's the thing i kind of wanted to focus in is how is the god of this world blinding our minds today in our culture how is he blinding our minds um of the unbel he's blinding the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god for what we proclaim and and this is what's interesting and not as I was studying through this, tying this in, when someone is teaching, are they exalting themselves or are they exalting Christ? And and Peter, you know, when you look at these sermons from between Acts two to six, Peter and John and whatever, like when they they heal they heal this man that was forty years old, been lame through birth, and they're like they're trying to worship him like they're a god, and like no, what are you crazy? You think we did this? And they're they're everything that they're doing is exalting Christ. And and so he's saying in verse five here, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. That's not what a lot of pastors today are doing. They are proclaiming themselves. And, and he's saying he's making a distinction in the authentic authenticness of his of this, of this gospel is that we are not proclaiming ourselves, but who we are proclaiming is jesus christ and not just jesus christ jesus christ as the lord with ourselves as your servants for jesus sake for god who said 
let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the new birth. This is what has to happen. You know, if this has happened for you, you will risk it all. If it hasn't, you will not. And we know to some degree who it's happened to under persecution. So the, the lines are, are, are clarified under persecution. There's one text in Acts right after Ananias and Sapphira and what happened there. And if you read a little bit after that story, it says they respected them, but no one else would join them because of the person fiction that was happening with the holiness. They, they lied to the Holy Spirit and died. And people at some point said, whoa, that's too heavy for me. You know, I'm going to watch from a distance. I don't think I can tote that line. But others was willing to surrender it all. And that was what the issue of Ananias and Sapphira was, was they were selling their stuff so that everybody would have enough. And that took a measure of faith to give up all you have for Christ. And, and um, I believe it was Barnabas was doing that. And, and they followed his model, and they're like, that looked cool what he got. And they got into not heavenly knowledge, but earthly knowledge, and they did something trying to get a, a reward from man and not a reward from God. And they stepped on the toes of God, and it cost them their life. And other people said, I, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't, I don't want all of what you got. I don't want to be all of it. And it says that they wouldn't join anymore, that they had reached the number, that it was just this group. And um, so anyway, um, the one other thing is First Corinthians one eighteen just re, re um, inf um, um, re restates this same thing, but it just says, "For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God." Um, and then the last one I want to read for you. Um, I know Jeff fixed up to jump off, so I'm gonna finish up with this last phrase, um, Jeff. Um, so we started with 3.1 of Colossians. I want to skip four verses above that, and I want us to look at something. And I want to try to use, I don't know if it's a hermeneutic, but it's a dynamic. I want to show you how we derive something very powerful from this, this paragraph. This is what the paragraph says. If with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, if you scroll up to the front of this chapter through chapter 2, He's like three different times and going to say, don't be caught back up. Don't be distracted by philosophies and, and, and wisdom and so and so. But knowledge of this world, wisdom of this world. Don't you've been you've been privileged to see the wisdom of God. And you are so blessed by that. Don't fall back to the wisdom of the world and, and be some don't go back under that yoke is what he's preaching through this whole chapter. But here in summation, it says. If with Christ you died, the elementary spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world? He's, he's taunting them. Like, come on, guys. We're believers. We're Christians. We know that we have a citizenship in heaven. Don't, and, and, and what I would add here, don't let the devil tell you that's not true. Don't, when you've, you've, you've looked towards heaven, you see its glory, you're, you're pressing on. Don't let the devil Something caused you to do a 180 and to step away from the path you were going in and go in a whole, whole different way. Don't let the devil say, you remember back then? You remember when you did that? You remember? Don't let him 
get you looking back. Keep looking forward. And he's saying, Christ, you died to the elementary principle. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And so he gives this taunting deal uh, of regulations. Do not handle, do not touch, taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all will perish as they are used. And then he uses this phrase, according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I'm going to take this last verse, 23. If you broke it into three phrases, it's the first phrase would be this. These have an indeed an appearance of wisdom. In the previous verse, it's speaking about human precepts and teaching. But he says, these have an appearance of wisdom of wisdom and then i'm going to skip this this b phrase promoting self-made religion asceticism the severity of body because i think it clouds the picture and i want to say this one sentence they have indeed the appearance of wisdom but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of flesh that last phrase that free that that last phrase should should prick a person's heart and say and what is it what is it that can stop the indulgence of the flesh. And what Paul is saying here is that there are some things that sound wise, they, they sound like they make sense, but at the end of the day, they don't stop the indulgence of your flesh. And if I was to go on into to further unpacking of that, there's our flesh and then there's our old nature and there's our new nature. And that's what he's talking about. He's fixing to say, put off the old man. Put on the new man. You're going to see the fruit of the spirit as you walk through chapter three. And, and what he's calling us to realize here is the way the devil gets us to look back as he gets us to think about the, the philosophies of the world, the wisdom of the world, the elementary principles of the world. And he's, he, he teaches us to mathematically to work it out that way. But our hope is not in the, the common things of this life. It's the uncommon things of this life. It's looking to Christ. It's falling at his feet and realizing that, that he holds all the answers. I know we've ran out of time. Um, final thoughts and we'll get off. Well, and, and along that line, and Jesus said, you must die to yourself if you're going to receive your new life. Yeah. No choice. You must die to yourself. 100%. Jeff, anything? Persevere, press on, you know, don't don't let the devil use guilt and shame to uh, keep you from doing your mission of spreading the gospel. And, uh, you know, that's that's one of his many tactics. And there's there's deep purpose in suffering. And it doesn't mean that when the devil whispers in your ear, God's not powerful enough to heal you or save you or um, provide for you or give provision. Uh, that that's just a lie. Uh, God uses our suffering to test our faith and and it's a refining process. That's thought, Shane. I was just going to say, um, uh, a lot of times we react out of emotion. Sorry, we react out of emotion, but like kind of like this. Uh, I, don't, I just there's no scripture. I, I, I think. Well, anyway. Just, I was going to say, just don't react out of emotion. Sometimes we, um, 
whether it be with our heart, we're angry, so react. And um, I just think that the, the foundation needs to be Christ and his word and sit back, sometimes breathe, sit back and breathe and then uh, respond. Amen. Um, Jeff, I'm going to let you close this in prayer. Uh, we will get back to the text. I think I'll resend it, but we'll get back to the crucifixion. Um, there were some good things there uh, we didn't really get to get to, but th that that's the nature of a free-flowing um, week. But uh, but like I said, we'll get back to the text. And um, when we do find wind up finishing up with... Um, um, with the with with the with the crucifixion and the uh, the resurrection, we may come back and touch back on some of these principles and acts because there's a lot lot of stones we left un, unturned. Um, but but at the end of the day, we we want to know the why 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 were they struggling there? Why are we still struggling? And what what's our role to help people overcome that why? You know, it's about forgiveness. It's about reconciliation. And like as, as you know, as Wayne, Mr. Wayne talked about the division of Jews and family and ostracizing, and I brought up the Seventh Day Adventist. You know, there, there's a wall that I think about the Berlin Wall coming down, but there's a wall of a spiritual nature that 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 we need to be a part of bringing down. So, all right, Jeff, can you close this real quick? Yep, <clears throat> Lord, I'm. Uh... I'm grateful for, for Jesus, for him uh, being obedient to the, the point of death and death on a cross. I'm thankful for these men here, the, the heart and mind that you've given to Shane, the heart and mind that you've given to Dennis, the heart and mind that you've given to Mr. Wayne, and even those men who couldn't join us this morning, Lord. And uh, there's something that gets us up early and desires to, uh, to come on this call because uh, your very words, Lord, are truth. The word that we go through, Lord, it is truth being proclaimed and our soul needs it. Um, Lord, we can't live on bread alone, but by the by the words of God. And Lord, you've graciously given us that. You give us your common grace every day. Uh, more importantly, for the men on this call, on this call who have been called out of darkness and into light, you've given us that special grace. And so, Lord, let us not uh let us not squander that gift that you've given us. Uh, let us go and advance the kingdom and share the gospel with others and bring more into the saving faith of Jesus Christ through the proclamation of your word. Um, Lord, uh, just be with us this week. Give us opportunities to share our faith in the name of Christ. Amen. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. All right, see you all later, guys.